0: I guess you could call it sort of the lawless wild wild west I guess the dark web you could say right because there's no rules there's nobody monitoring this thing right and like I said you could get anywhere from assassins to child pornography to financial information PII I mean just it seems like anything goes on the dark web right
1: introducing the protectors inside criminal minds from around the world Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board, Michael Carroll. Hello, everybody.
2: This is Mike Carroll, International Chairman of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. I am with Mark Solomon, our International President. How are you doing today, Mark?
0: Mr. Carroll, I'm doing great as usual, so glad to be back for another episode and uh, looking forward to the show again. Now, Mark, today's guest is kind of a return guest, I would
2: say, because he wasn't on a prior podcast, but he was on a prior IFCI webinar. He did an outstanding job. We had over 1,000 attendees for his webinar,
0: and so we're glad to have him back again. Why don't you introduce our guest? I will. I will. And like I said, we knew him all the way back in the day when he was uh, working with the Secret Service. So really excited to get him on the podcast for the first time. So our next guest currently leads the Cyber Threat Intelligence Division of Q6 Cyber. He joined Q6 Cyber after 25 years of dedicated service to the United States Secret Service, where he specialized in transnational cyber crimes, access device fraud, network intrusions, and identity theft data breaches affecting the private sector. While there, he founded the U.S. Secret Service Cyber Intelligence Section, which coordinates global cyber operations. He also headed the U.S. Secret Service's Miami Electronic Crimes Task Force, which has over 800 members from the private sector, academia, and local and federal law enforcement. He's an expert on computer botnet and malware attacks and an expert in the dark web. We'd like to welcome to the show Executive Vice President and founding partner of Q6 Cyber, Robert Villanueva.
3: Hey, Mark. How you doing, Mike? Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Hey, glad to have you, brother. Good hearing you.
2: All right, Robert, how you doing? Glad to have you on too, man. We're looking forward to today's interview with you. Hey, I wanted to ask you, of course, I want to ask you about the Secret Service, but I want to ask you a little before that, where were you raised and can you tell me like what got you into law enforcement? What made you think that uh, law enforcement is going to be your career?
3: Yeah, sure thing, Mike. Um, I was raised down in South Florida. I'm a proud Florida native of uh, South Florida, grew up in the Miami area from uh, Cuban parents, immigrants, first-generation American. Uh, I always was fascinated with law enforcement in general, especially federal law enforcement. Uh, I was involved with in the martial arts as a very young kid and teenager and growing up and went to college and everything else. And so I was able to um, actually be recruited by the U.S. Secret Service, which I applied and eventually became an agent uh, and became an agent globally for the Secret Service. Oh, wow. Did you work law enforcement like any other agency prior to the Secret
2: Service as far as law enforcement or right out of college into into the Secret Service?
3: Yes, right out of of college, Mike. I um, Actually, one of my my first jobs right out of college was a parole officer. So I was actually a parole officer in the state of Florida for a couple of years as I applied to the U.S. Secret Service at a couple of different agencies. I was picked up by a couple at the same time, but I chose the Secret Service because it has a very uh, unique path and career path especially with a dual mission of both protection and investigations.
0: Yeah, Robert, uh, like I said, uh, you have had uh, such an incredible career with the Secret Service before retiring. Can you tell our audience a little bit about some of the different assignments that you had? And I'm also very curious about how you came about founding the cyber intelligence division for the Secret Service.
3: Yes, I was with the Secret Service for 25 years. So I started as a fairly young man, you know, uh, a couple of years after college, and was thrown in right into the fire, basically, uh, as an undercover operative. We, uh, at the Secret Service, have, you know, different types of uh, sections and divisions. So everybody recognizes the Secret Service because of the dark glasses and the earpiece and the protection of the president. But like I mentioned before, we're a, a dual mission agency, so... We also do investigations, and the counterfeiting of U.S. currency and the protection of the financial infrastructure of the United States is one of the main priorities of the Secret Service. So as a young man, you know, you do a lot of undercover operations, mostly overseas. Since I speak, uh, you know, foreign languages, I was basically sent to uh, South America and did a lot of covert ops down there looking for uh, counterfeiters of U.S. currency in the manufacturing and distribution operations down in Latin America, primarily in Colombia, Peru, and Brazil. Wow. So later on through my career path, I got promoted. I uh, eventually wound up in Washington, D.C., and became a supervisor in our criminal investigative division in Washington. Um, I had a, a niche for computers, of course, and, and cyber in general. I was trained by the Secret Service mostly in computer uh, forensics and network intrusions. And uh, intelligence was one of the main goals at the time because it was right around the year 2000 or so, and, and the dark web was up and coming. It was a really uh, unique place. The Secret Service were looking at it from a very uh, different perspective, trying to find out who these threat actors and cyber criminals were on there that were operating. And uh, we we had a lot of uh, cases and a lot of... Uh, uh, investigations around the country, and we decided to coordinate it from the headquarters perspective and following the intelligence section to basically look for mostly Eastern European cyber criminals that were targeting the critical infrastructure of the United States. For, and we either disrupted them through technical means or had them apprehended overseas or domestically. And I oversaw uh, the analysis portion, all the analysts, and also the operatives in the field as well. It was a great opportunity wow. that I was given by a Secret Service, and uh, it's now t- been taken to a whole different level. Yeah,
0: and uh, Robert, I want to ask you too, and, and for our audience uh, who may be inexperienced with the dark web, but can you tell us about the three different sort of sections of the internet, what they are, and what their purposes are?
3: Yeah, the internet as a whole, basically, uh, most folks uh, in, in general, the public. You know, they're on the internet all day long. But that's only the, the tip of the iceberg, like um, I like to call it, because underneath the, there's different layers of the, um, the internet. Uh, and you have the dark net, which a lot of people are familiar with a little bit because, there's you know, you could go with different types of web browser like Tor and see specifically cyber criminals selling all types of information and data and drugs and arms but then you actually have the dark web, which is beneath that, and that's where the serious threat actors operate out of, mostly from Eastern Europe, you know places like the Russian Federation, Ukraine, the Baltic countries, and these are where the actual folks who are the professionals with malware development, the malware writers, the actual hackers themselves, the fishers who send those phishing emails to basically infect our networks, or computers globally. And then you have, the people who are stealing the data and then vending the data uh, as vendors on these different criminal websites. And there's hundreds of these professional websites selling all types of data, including, of course, credit card, payment card information, accounts, uh, stolen online banking credentials, email credentials, and of course, all types of data breaches, which again, affects each and every American company in the U.S.
2: Hey, Robert, you always hear about the dark web, but my question would be, Is there any type of legitimate purpose for it being out there?
3: Well, not really. (laughs) If you're on the dark web, you know, you either, uh, you know, law enforcement actively looking for, you know, serious threat actors and how they're targeting maybe some of your victims, you know, whether it be financial institutions or corporations globally, by the way, or, you know, you're gathering intel, maybe an intel agency, you know, also looking at it from a different perspective as far as. Gathering intel, and then you're a bad guy, basically. If you're a bad guy, you're on there and you're either vending, selling stolen information that you've retrieved from uh, a cyber criminal, or you're a hacker trying to uh, link up with a vendor, basically, to sell them their information.
0: Robert, I got to laugh uh, because we're, we're all in that investigation mode, and, and like I said, you know, we deal, or especially you deal with the dark net so much, and you see all the negative and criminal activities going on but i actually there was a speaker that uh, came to the conference a couple years ago and brought out some legitimate reasons that i never knew were for the dark web and i guess like social media platforms are on there it's also ways of communicating in countries that maybe have dictatorships or uh don't have freedom of speech so i was surprised to find out there were a couple legitimate uh, reasons but again I think the, the overwhelming majority of stuff that goes on on the dark web is nefarious, to say the least, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the majority is nefarious. Of course, there's always, you know, people in totalitarian in, uh, states like North Korea and Cuba and that sort of thing. They're on, the, they're on the dark web trying to circumvent, you know, their local ISPs and everything else. So you get around, you know, obviously, you know, those barriers. You have some of that, but all this through instant messaging and and, uh, VPNs, virtual private networks and proxies that they could pretty much do the same thing. Don't necessarily have to go through the the dark web, but the majority, the majority is a criminal activity.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, Robert, myself, 29 years, law enforcement, retired back, helping out in an analyst position. It's like back to school for me. So, you know, I got to ask you a basic question. How does someone access the dark web?
3: Well I mean uh, obviously you know with your all your experience in law enforcement uh, Mike and and, and Marcus as well, right you guys have a vast uh, amount of experience you know and a lot of the the criminal activity and the stolen goods that you you see in the real world a lot of it is derived from the virtual world right so bad guys are selling all types of things you know even even for shipping addresses for packages and that sort of thing It's a multi million dollar business. Okay, so you have different sections of the dark web dedicated to different things. So, again, you have people who are actually selling synthetic identities, for instance, and a part of the dark web or certain shops and forums. You have people selling stolen payment card information, like I mentioned before. But to access the dark web, it depends which site you're going to access because you have to be a vetted member, usually, of that site to access that site. So you have to go through a layer, basically, of VPNs, virtual private networks, as I mentioned before, to access and proxies to access certain sites. Most of these sites are hosted overseas by foreign ISPs, mostly, again, in the Russian Federation or Europe, or in parts of Latin America. Like For instance, in Brazil, there's a lot of dark websites sites hosted down there, because a lot of Brazilian cyber criminals are very good. Uh, and, but once you get access and you get approved and vetted, that's how you access the different sites themselves. A lot of these also are chat rooms, by the way, which, again, have exclusivity. So to you know, answer your question, Mike, it's difficult, challenging, but not impossible as law enforcement or as intel to be able to get into these sites. At Q6, we have people who have been doing this for years, including myself, who know exactly what to do and have tools to access certain sites on the dark web.
0: And Robert, we're going to get in more uh, of what you do, Q6 Cyber, uh, in a minute. But I wanted to ask, too: Why do criminals prefer the the dark web? Uh, you know, are they able to keep themselves anonymous? How does it work for our listeners that maybe don't know too much about the dark web?
3: Yes. Well, these sites obviously, uh, cyber criminals operate with you know nicknames for the most part and and uh, avatars. You will use your real identity. So, anonymity is, is something that's very important. They think you're anonymous, so again, they mask their master IP by going through you know different proxies and everything else. But they also use different names. So, anonymity is the key. So, they're acting basically in a in a as a ghost uh, until you know you shed light on that ghost, and then he's a ghost no more.
2: Hmm. You know, when I think of the dark web, I always think of some type of breach where. Credit card numbers and credit card information is being sold on the dark web. But uh, Robert, what kind of trends are you seeing also on the dark web when it comes to like fraud and other cyber criminal activity?
3: Well, you're right, Mike. So yes, when there's a significant data breach of a financial, you know, small financial institution, say, or a, um, a, re- a retail establishment like a hotel, restaurant, you know, if they're storing payment card information, that information is then being transmitted by the threat actors to different shops and forums on the dark web, and they're going to sell that data in in volume. But beside that, again, you know, there's different markets for different things. You know, people doing busy email compromises as well on the dark web. You know, check fraud, which is really rampant, by the way, nationwide. All financial institutions are suffering check fraud. And these local criminal gangs, as you well know, Mike, are stealing checks, physical checks, from uh, various locations around the country and uh, posting the the actual images for sale on the dark web. So there's a whole market for that. Besides that, there's also malware and viruses for sale on the dark web and also malware infrastructure, basically, that is offered on the dark web. And I get more into detail about that as well because that's very, very, uh, a little bit more technical, but also very rampant as far as a service on the dark web. But basically, you can hire anybody for anything on the dark web.
0: Yeah, I know I've attended your presentations before, and I guess you could call it sort of the lawless, wild, wild west, I guess, the dark web, you could say, right? Because there's no rules, there's nobody monitoring this thing, right? And like I said, you could get anywhere from assassins uh, to child pornography to financial information, PII. I mean, it it seems like anything goes on the dark web, right? Yes,
3: yes, anything goes Correct. And again, you know, you have some very, nefarious people on there, also some very, I would say, sick people on there too, especially when it comes to child pornography. So that's something that, again, uh, there's zero tolerance for. Throughout my career, the Secret Service and Task Forces, you know, we worked a lot of those cases as well to apprehend and try to disrupt some of that activity.
2: And, you know, I was thinking if I wanted to purchase something on the dark web, and um, you know, a counterfeit goods or something that's stolen, and I send a payment, whether it's crypto or a wire or whatever, and uh, I don't get the product. Who do I report that to? I can't go to the police and say, <laughs> <Okay>. hey, <laughs> I didn't get my
0: product, no I, my stolen TV, item. Huh? Like, There's well, no better business bureau not, for the
3: dark web, right? <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, well, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, all these sites use digital currencies you know, different uh, varieties of different uh, digital currencies. This is very easy to, to transact, you know, on the dark web with digital currencies, right? There's no no, really no trace too much. But for the most part, you know, it's a, it's a fast and experienced way to do transactions. So as far as, you know, some of these professional sites, they have administrators, Mike. So you have a chain of a command within the site, the professional one. So you have an administrator or two of the site, and then you have actually underlinks, they're basically tenants on that site that would actually vet people and vet bad guys. So if you're transacting on that site, you're providing a service, but not the product, and there's complaints, there's actually a complaint center for the users of the site to (laughs) actually file complaints. And once you basically uh, get uh, labeled as a ripper, they call them, a ripper, you get kicked off the site. You're no longer allowed on the site by the administrators. There's actually some sort of quality assurance believe it or out among thieves on these sites.
2: Oh, you must be—you have to be really bad to get kicked off the dark web, I'm saying.
3: <laughs> well, the professional ones are the ones that are, you know, good. There's also amateur ones, the smaller ones that they—they they probably don't have the due diligence, but the bigger ones do due diligence, believe it or not. And we see them actually executing due diligence.
0: And it's funny—I've heard stories where you know uh, actors will sell a hundred cards. Uh, To one person and then sell the same 100 cards to somebody else. So there's no honor uh, among thieves, I guess. And uh, I guess we could call it the Better Bad Business Bureau. I don't know uh, if to make a complaint, but uh, it's just amazing that, you know, like I said, that they even uh, the cons can uh, con other cons, you know, so, but Hey Robert, I wanted to ask you too. Now, my nickname for you is the Sheriff of the Dark Web, okay? Because you know your company you, and what you're doing. <laughs> I'm going to I'll deputize you right now, but it,
2: it's funny. By the it's ICI, like, you know,
3: new- <laughs> take it with honor. I'm a, I'm a proud I'm a, uh, ICI member for many years.
0: I love it. I love it. A new sheriff in town, but it's it's funny. Your job now in the private sector of Q6 is you're infiltrating this dark web and you're getting intelligence, you're getting data, and then what are you doing with that information?
3: Okay. So at Q6, what we did is we basically took the same model we had in the federal government for the most part, in our task forces, and especially at Secret Service. So when I retired, I basically brought with me a lot of folks that I used to work with in the Public sector. So uh, the majority of the employees and everybody by the way at Q6 is an employee of Q6. We don't outsource anything. It's either former US government or military or Israeli government or military. We're an American company, 100%. But uh, we, you know, we do have presence overseas for overseas customers in Europe and also at Tel Aviv in South America and also in Asia, by the way. Uh, but everybody's an engineer or an analyst. The majority of our engineering team are formerly from the National Security Agency, folks that I used to work with and brought them over. So we developed our own tools and we actually are able to um, look at the dark web and also look at cyber criminal threat actors from an offensive perspective. Meaning, we don't wait for the fraud to occur when it comes to compromised accounts. We actually go after these accounts as you're being transmitted uh, around the world by these cyber criminals, mostly through malware infrastructure. So with our technology and our tools, we're able to actually gather these compromised accounts from data breaches, from compromised computers, from viruses, uh, cell phones for viruses and Trojans, all types of credential grabbing malware. And then we're actually able to collect it and give it to our clients before any fraud occurs in those accounts. So it's more a fraud prevention service as far as the day-to-day, you know, with our, our customers, the majority of customers we expect are either financial institutions or investment firms. All the big ones pretty much work with us, and uh, business is very doing very well. But we also work by way, with smaller credit unions and banks around the country and around the world to do the same thing to get prevent fraud from a lot of these accounts. And uh, we have a great partnership with the IFCI, and we we'll get more into that later on. But again, uh, it's something that is very, um, very attractive to IFCM members as well.
2: Absolutely. Hey, Robert, I think Q6 provides a great service to uh, financial institutions and businesses. How about like our, our citizens? Is there something that Q6 can offer to them? Or what would a, somebody like me want to find out if my personal information is out there on the dark web? How would I go about that?
3: Yeah, we, we do dark web scans all the time to different groups, you know, different types of nonprofit for profit groups, for instance, all the time. Uh, a lot of them are, you know, citizen-oriented, a lot of like, elderly people, for instance, you know, also they're victims of, of romance scams and that sort of thing. So we do all that stuff once in a while when we get called uh, as pro bono work. So, we, again, we have a very, you know, I, I wouldn't say we see everything, but we see a heck of a lot. <laughs> so again, not only from, you know, these dark web sites and shops, but also from the malware infrastructure that these cyber criminals are running, meaning the compromise computers and cell phones, those viruses are sending information that's being captured on these devices and sent overseas through a series of botnets, they call them, to compromise computers, to command and control servers in remote locations overseas. Again, we have the capability to capture all lot of information in transit. So, for instance, say um, somebody logs onto an online banking account, they have a phishing email that they received last week, they downloaded it, and um, their computer's compromised now, their cell phone, with a Trojan, with a virus. That Trojan is recording all that information on there, basically everything that the keystroke is typing. So, you log on to your online banking, you put your username, you put your password you put your IP, everything's on there. Now we're capturing that information and sending it overseas to bad guys who are either going to use that information themselves, try to access an account and do an account takeover or a wire transfer, or they'll sell it to shops and forums on the dark web in a third market. So again, the key is to be proactive and to combat this as much as you can and disrupt this activity without taking any kind of fraud losses
0: yeah absolutely and i'll simple it down for mike because he's a little bit older than you and i but um, um, it's sort of like a stagecoach robbery where they're they're transporting this (laughs) stolen information and they get robbed of the goods before they get there so it sounds like bringing it back to the sheriff terms you're actually intercepting that data and alerting financial institutions that this information is out here, you need to shut this account down before the the fraudster has a chance to sell it to somebody else. Is that kind of how it works?
3: Roger that. Q6 cyber is deputized by the ICI to do that. And again, that's what we're doing. We're intercepting <laughs> the data it. on a daily basis and trying to, again, be the sheriff, like you say, and try to, you know, <laughs> or Lone Ranger or whatever you want to call us, to try to intercept the data before it get to the bad guys. Awesome, awesome.
2: Hey, I got to ask you, Robert, what do you see like in the future that's going to be out there on the dark web, and is there anything that kind of makes you nervous that could be out there for sale?
3: Yeah, well, the thing is, I mean, some of these malware variants are basically coming out every day, meaning new malware, new variants are coming out every single day. Um, multiple ones, right? So it's hard for the antivirus companies to keep track of all these, you know, malware variants, and, you know, they're months behind, you know, keeping up with these sometimes because they have to actually have the variant first to put it in their signature for the, the, the dictionary for the antivirus company. So it takes a while for them to you know, catch up to the, the viruses. So I see a really, it's very really prolific, and all the different variants are coming out um, a lot of this stuff is got to be sometimes automated. Um, you know, AI, again, artificial intelligence is something also we're looking at because bad guys are using it. You know, now you go to chat GBT and you can actually ask them to do multiple things, like write different scripts and different programs that are malicious maybe. So it's making it much easier for the cyber criminals to commit cyber crime on a global basis. So I just see this, you know, escalating and getting worse and worse. And again, the key is information and data. These bad guys don't care what they steal. Everything's a commodity to them, whether it's your personal information, you know, your date of birth so your number, your, your payment card information, your online banking information, you know, your identities, your checks. It's just nonstop. And they, they go after anything and everything in a very aggressive fashion. And they're very well organized and very highly educated, some of these folks. And their bottom line is financial gain. That's the key. I'm not talking about some cyber criminals overseas, or you know, hackers overseas are actually after you know intellectual property for corporations. Uh, of course, there's plenty of those. Any national secrets from defense for firms or the U.S. government? I mean, there's plenty of those. Nation states also going after you know uh, different secrets. I'm talking about a very highly organized group of thousands of cyber criminals, highly educated in computer sciences, that are basically on these websites and dedicated malware infrastructure just to steal data for financial gain. So that's the key. The key is to unite both in the public sector, federal agencies, local law enforcement agencies, the private sector, academia, and organizations like the IFCI to combat effectively these cyber criminals. So, again, we have to unite and work together, you know, to do this because they do. They do. Believe me, I see them in their chats and the way they communicate very effective. Very rapidly. And it's something, again, that we as an industry should combat and and take seriously because, again, they're out there to get us.
0: I love that partnership that you talk about, and it's not just law enforcement, it's the private sector, it's academia, you know, at the IFCI, we have our three C's, we call them communication, cooperation, and collaboration, you know, and and like I said, we we appreciate you being on the front line uh, on this fight in the dark web, and and like I said, you're right, that's the only way to battle this is if, if all the forces of goodness go after these, these actors, you know, and, and we pull our resources together. So that is an incredible point that you made, and we appreciate your part of that.
3: Yes, thank you. And listen, for anybody who's a member of the IFCI, law enforcement, or financial institution, if they want to reach out to, to Q6 or to me personally, go right ahead and, and reach out to me. and We'll be more than glad to do any kind of dark web scan, complimentary, of course, just so they see what's out there and they can take action on what they see. So that's something that we'll offer any IFCI member.
0: And if you use the code word sheriff, you get an extra 10% off. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. Intrigue. Yeah,
3: intrigue. Complimentary. <laughs> no, no, no. It's you. all, you know, just uh, no, our, we, our company we, wanting we, to do the right thing. So, yeah. In, yeah. yeah. I mean, in the future... You know, there's other things, but yeah, co-worker sheriff. Yeah, we could definitely talk about doing something with sheriff.
2: That's a great idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, Robert, one thing I love about it being a co-host of the podcast is I learned so much information. And I got to ask you: you know, the old days, people were, uh, you know, our citizens, we tell them to protect their identity, you know, use a shredder. Now their information's out there on the dark web and everything like that. What would you recommend to our listeners, being in law enforcement, that they need to do to protect their identity? All right,
3: the main way all these cyber criminals, all right, are coming after basically individuals, you know, all over the world, but especially in the U.S., is through phishing emails. Okay, about eighty to eighty-five percent of the way they're stealing information and data is through phishing email. Everybody wants to click on that link or see that attachment picture that's sent by somebody they they think they know or they want to know, but If you click on that link, your computer or your cell phone is going to get infected. Never click on any link, all right? Visit the site personally, directly, I mean. Uh, Do not click on any link or attachment. That's how they're going to get you, right? And by the way, uh, phishing last year in 2022 went up over 500%. They're sending these phishing emails in the millions every week throughout the world. Millions. All right, spammers are sending this in vast amounts. Because they know, you know, it's not a million, okay, if they get a few hundred people, tell you what, there's a few hundred targets. So they work in numbers. The other way, too, you have to be careful, and we have to be careful with what sites and websites you visit, right? Don't go on those, you know, weird sites and uh, different sites that you don't know, because they're also a honeypot for viruses and trade. So when you go there, your computer or your cell phone infected with malware. A lot of pornography sites, for instance, are notorious for that. So be careful with that because those are one of the main sites. So if you do that and you use good cyber hygiene, like I used to call it, you know, be careful. Think. think about before opening that email, you know, that you don't know who it came from. Think about clicking that link. Don't just go ahead and do it. We live in a really fast-paced world nowadays, and it's constant email traffic back and forth. I mean, I received tons emails every I got to be very careful with what I open, and, I'm, and I still to this day I practice that, and everybody in the company practices that. Because that's 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 what's going to get you, okay? That's going to get you. The other way, you know. Lastly, is see calls. Believe it or not, you know. Uh, by the way, they're sending smishing emails uh, also through your text messaging, so be careful with text messaging as well. The same thing is fishing. They call submission with an S, but they're sending the same thing because it won't affect your phone that way. The other thing is calls. Believe it or not, you're still getting those calls and social engineering calls from people overseas and try to prey on older people, especially, and find out their personal information claiming they're from their bank or credit union and ask them questions. And, you know, people sometimes, especially the older, they want to do the right thing and answer. Don't talk to anybody. If you get a call from somebody, they say they're from your bank, hang up, say, I'll call you back. And then you call them. Call that number directly. And now you know who you're talking to. Don't call the number that called you, obviously. Call the bank number and find out what's going on with that. Okay. Basic common sense things like that go a long way.
0: And it's funny. I always tell people when we're educating in the public here is never, like I said, trust an incoming email phone number or text because technology i could spoof somebody's phone number i could hack somebody's email address you know that it's scary like I said you have to really vet your communications and and don't respond to anything that you're you know being asked to provide any type of pii personal identifying information or account information
3: yeah, Mark, I went into uh, basically, uh, you know, overseas in different places, but I remember vividly going into Ukraine, right, um, in Kiev, right, or Kiev, like I call it nowadays, right? But I, I went there with, you know, authorities. We, you know, they were executing a search warrant. You know, U.S. law enforcement was with them. And the, the warrant we executed basically was a call center of basically, it was like 20 uh, something individuals, basically, each of your teams calling. The U.S. and U.S. victims posing as Americans pretending to be for certain financial institutions. It was a call. So 20 years ago, this was operating back then. And some of these foreign nationals had distinct American accents. And they had like Southern accents or they had accents from the Northeast. It was really eerie, again, to walk into that and see the way they were operating. Again, 20 some odd years ago, right?
0: And you're only 45, so how, how'd that happen? Right, I'm still a young man. I
3: mean, I mean <laughs> so is so Mike, from my understanding. I know Mark Bush, Mark, Mark saying he's a you know, stage coach and all that stuff. Oh, come on. <laughs>
2: Robert, great to have you on today's podcast. But, you know, we probably could have done a two-parter, and one of them just could have been your history with the U.S. Secret Service. And I got to tell you, Mark will say the same thing. I have 29 years with the U.S. Postal Inspectors, back helping out as an analyst. I've worked numerous cases with the U.S. Secret Service. We've had a great partnership between the Inspection Service and Secret Service. And, Mark, you were assigned to the task force, right, with Secret Service for a long time.
0: right. I was a task force officer for 11 years, and it was really the best 11 years of my career in law enforcement. So I have a... The ultimate respect for the Secret Service and the agents, and like I said, people don't realize how difficult their job is with the dual mission and and protection and investigations, and uh, it really takes a dedicated person to be a, a Secret Service agent. So, uh, Robert, we appreciate your service and uh, what you're doing now in the private sector.
3: Well, thank you, Mark and Mike. And it, was a, it was a great honor for me to be a Secret Service agent for 25 years, and. I mean, I still think and bleed, obviously, Secret Service and law enforcement in general. But the key with the Secret Service and the mission in general is to be able to work with local law enforcement, you know, and also other federal agencies, too, as a partnership. And you can't do it without them. So, again, I thank both of you also for your service, because, again, like I mentioned before, this is a partnership. And the mission of the Secret Service in general cannot be done without their local and state and federal partners.
2: Thank you, Robert. you mentioned before that anybody that's listening to today's podcast can reach out to you. Do you want to provide your information now on how to get a hold of you, or do you want us to put it in the show notes? If somebody wants to reach out to you
3: or reach out to Q6 cyber. Sure. You can do both. You can reach out to me directly. If you're an IFCN member via my email, it's R like a Robert V Victor, RV at Q, letter Q six, number six, CYBER, dot rcom so R-V-I-Q-CYBER.com, and uh, I'll be more than glad to get back to you via email. Uh, you can put it in the notes as well.
2: Talk about great IFCI members. Here's somebody come on the podcast telling the listeners, hey, you want to get a hold of me? Go right ahead. Here's my email. I'll be glad to communicate with you. Appreciate that.
3: Yes, sir. Anytime. That's a, you know, I'm honored. To, to any IFCI member, anybody's got any questions, or comments? Please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, and also, if you want to, uh, you know, have me back in the podcast today, it would be my, my honor to come back as well. And I could tell you more specific about cases overseas, some good adventures that I had, some stuff that was kind of hairy, that I'm sure would be uh, entertaining to some of the listeners.
0: That's great. And and we'll definitely take you up on that. That's for sure, Robert. And uh, we appreciate it. And like I said, uh, your offer to IFCI members, law enforcement, and for financial institutions, they could reach out to you on your website. What's the website address again?
3: Yeah, it's q6cyber.com. All right. So if they go to info, I-N-F-O at q6cyber.com, they could
0: reach out right through the website. All right. Excellent. And you know, for our listeners, like I said, we don't want to bombard uh, Robert with thousands of questions and emails, but you could always uh, take a look at our IFCI website that has valuable information, how to protect yourself from these type of frauds and scams and cyber attacks. So visit us at www.iafci.org. And Robert, once again, thank you. I know you got to get back to being the sheriff of the dark web, so we're going to let you go and we'll bring you on for another podcast soon. How about that?
3: Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm glad it was deputized by the ICI today. All right. <laughs>
2: Robert, I'm going to do a little more uh, research on the dark web. I'd like to be your deputy, if you don't mind taking me on board. But uh, <laughs> yes, sir. I, I still got a lot to learn you It's Going it. back to school. Hey, are we going to see you at the International Conference this year, which is in Tampa, last week of August? You'll be probably be speaking, right? Most
3: definitely. Most definitely. Awesome. I'm going to personally be there uh, the entire week and also uh, Q6 Cyber i uh, going to have a booth there from my understanding, and also we're going to be speaking also on um, some current uh, cyber fraud trends that are occurring throughout the country.
2: Hey, Robert, maybe we'll get an opportunity in Tampa to interview you again.
3: Yes, Mike, anytime. May my pleasure. Appreciate
2: that. Mark, what a great interview of Robert. He's such a great guy. He's a walking encyclopedia. He has so much knowledge on the dark web, and uh, it was just an honor to have him on our show
0: uh he is he is and like i said uh, dedicating 25 years in law enforcement and then to transition to the private sector and keep doing what he's doing and, and protecting our citizens our financial institutions uh just uh, incredible so hey mike i want to mention too our podcast is really going well People are tuning in because this is a great place to come to learn about fraud, scams, and cyber crimes. And most importantly, pick up some of those red flags so you don't become a victim of these crimes. Like I said, things are taking off. We want to thank our audience for tuning in. I want to thank the IFCI for giving us the opportunity to share this information with the public. And again, we hope you keep telling your friends and families about this podcast because it's information everybody needs to know to protect themselves. Yeah, and if you are a financial crime investigator, law enforcement, we'd love
2: to have you on board with the IFCI. You could go to org, join our organization. We provide the best training and education, which includes the podcast. So thank you very much to all our listeners. We love
0: you. Thank you for listening. Hey, Mike, and where can our listeners go to subscribe to this podcast? I use Spotify. That's where I go. I use Apple, I got Google, I got Spotify, but we're on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe. You'll get alerted every time there's a new podcast episode out. And uh, we love to get support from our listeners by you subscribing. So thanks again. And I'm going to sign off. It's Mark Solomon from Connecticut. This is Mike Carroll from Chicago.
1: We'll see you again. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guests opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.